0: We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC Podcast. This week's episode is about God's design for sex. Uh, Why is it that even sometimes for those of us who know Christ who love the gospel, who believe the Bible, find it difficult to find the joys and the blessings that God intended in this particular area. Well, again, just because everything comes together as it ought doesn't mean that things are naturally going to work out as God intended because it's quite a challenge when a man and a woman come to this particular area of life because we come at it uh, from very radically opposite perspectives. Our culture is obsessed with sex, but in many of the wrong ways. Thankfully, God has designed and has spoken about his intentions in creating sex. Danny Aiken at the ERLC National Conference says that God is pro-sex and discusses the good boundaries God has placed on this gift for the good of his people. We hope this message is helpful to you. Well, of all the speakers, I have the best subject of all, God on sex. And so we ought to have a good time talking about something that we are all interested in and that uh, many of us have found to be a a wonderful gift from a a great God. You know, it's very interesting. In the uh, Bible, you read a very interesting statement that simply says this, Eat friends, drink, be drunk with love. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says be intoxicated with love. So where in the world do you find a statement like that? In the Song of Songs, chapter 5 and verse 1, appearing immediately after the wedding night where the shepherd king and as he describes her, his flawless bride, have enjoyed the blessing of intimacy within covenant marriage. And when you come to the Bible, what you discover very quickly, if you read it well, is that sex is a good gift from a great God. In fact, the Bible is very clear that our God is pro-sex. And I must tell you that I think God was having a really good day when he came up with the sex thing. That's just my own personal opinion. But I think it was one of God's best days when he created this wonderful gift. And so God gave us uh, sex to be enjoyed within heterosexual Covenant marriage. Now you say, well, why in the world would he put parameters on such a precious, wonderful gift? Well, it's a precious, wonderful gift, but it's also a very dangerous gift. It's a very delicate gift, and therefore God gives it to us to enjoy, but he also gives it to us to enjoy with care. In fact, when he gave us this gift, as he did, he had several things that he wanted to accomplish with this good gift. He wanted to maximize, for example, our partnership. There is a coming together in intimacy and in marriage that is only exceeded by our intimacy in our covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation. So there is a oneness that takes place that really transcends every other human relationship. Pleasure. If you read the Song of Songs, you see eight chapters of a book dedicated to the wonders and the joys of intimacy in marriage. And as I just read, God smiles and God is happy when he sees a man and a woman come together and enjoy one another in this wonderful relationship protection. Uh, If the world were to practice sex God's way, it would be a better world. God calls us to save ourselves for marriage, and then God calls us to be faithful within that covenant of marriage. And he recognizes by doing so, he protects us. He protects us physically, but he also protects us psychologically, and he protects us spiritually. And of course, God gave us this wonderful gift for procreation, for the blessing of children. And indeed, in Psalm 127 and also Psalm 128, we read, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hands of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And yet there's a problem, isn't there? God gave us this wonderful gift, sex, to be enjoyed, and yet too many people are not enjoying it. Uh, Too many people are abusing it. And as a result of that, uh, there are bodies strewn everywhere. Uh, There's tragedy, uh, there's heartache, and there is great, great disappointment. And you say, well, Danny, what happened? What went wrong? Of course, we know what went wrong, the fall. And with the fall in Genesis chapter 3, you have the beginning of the battle of the sexes. And you have a fallen humanity that is now badly confused when it comes to their gender role and their gender assignment. And yet, by God's amazing grace, he did not leave us there. But God begins to set us on a track back to what I love to call redeemed, sanctified marriage. And therefore, in that context, redeemed, sanctified sex. You see uh, inkling of it in the Song of Songs, which in many ways is taking us back to the way it was before the fall in Eden. Read Song of Songs sometime with Eden in the backdrop of your mind. And I think you'll see how uh, Solomon again and again is picking up on the imagery of the garden. And he is describing the bliss of marital oneness and intimacy as it was intended by God before sin entered in and made a mess of everything. But then if you really want to see where the where the story is headed, you move into that classic New Testament passage in Ephesians chapter five, verses 22 through 33. And hear the word of the Lord from that book written by Paul. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. There's the intimacy of marriage right there. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying this as it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. When you read these verses, what you see very quickly is what a redeemed relationship looks like with a husband loving his wife and a wife honoring her husband. And that indeed is the context in which great sex, wonderful intimacy takes place. Of course, we recognize this evening that everything does fit physiologically as God intended. So again, what is the issue? Why is it that even sometimes for those of us who know Christ, who love the gospel, who believe the Bible, find it difficult to find the joys and the blessings that God intended in this particular area? Well, again, just because everything comes together as it all doesn't mean that things are naturally going to work out as God intended, because it's quite a challenge when a man and a woman come to this particular area of life, because we come at it uh, from very radically opposite perspectives uh we heard greg Smalley speak uh this uh afternoon and i remember several years ago hearing his father describe how it works when men and women come together in intimacy and he gave us an analogy that i think fits so very well he said well you know bottom line it works like this when it comes to intimacy in marriage men are a whole lot like microwave ovens but women are a lot more like crock pots and uh He didn't say crackpots, he said crockpots. Now, you say, what does he mean by that? Well, there's a lot of wisdom here because he says, well, men are creatures of sight. And men are very much moved by what they see. And when a man sees what he likes, well, he's a lot like a microwave oven. He can heat up in a hurry and it it takes him absolutely no time at all. But in contrast, uh, a woman is much more a creature of the ear and of the heart. Uh, They have a greater sensitivity than do men. And so because they are moved by what they hear and they are more moved by what they feel in their heart, it takes them a while. They're more like a a crock pot and they have to kind of simmer a while before they become active and interested and ready in this wonderful area called sexual intimacy. I guess the way uh, I best came to understand this was several years ago, a friend of mine who's a wonderful counselor, uh, shared with me a counseling uh, event. He let the uh, members remain anonymous, as he should, uh, so I'll never know exactly who he was talking about. But he said, I had something happen that I think kind of helps put things in perspective in this particular area. He shared the story that a lady came to see him one Friday afternoon. And uh, as she sat down, she shared with him that she was thinking very seriously about uh, separating from her husband. And, of course, he immediately asked, well, what is the primary issue that's at uh, the heart of this uh, rather radical decision? And she said, well, I'm kind of embarrassed. Uh, I love my husband. He loves me. Uh, he's a wonderful husband in so many ways. He's a great father to our children. But there's one area of our marriage that is a, a, a constant area of fighting and uh, conflict and disagreement. And she said, um, It's our intimate life. It's our sex life. She said, my my husband's a fanatic. He wants sex 24-7. If I were not saying no as often as I do, why I think we'd just be in the bed all the time. And so it's become an area of massive stress and pressure for me. In fact, I I really think I'm on the verge of a breakdown. And so I'm I'm just thinking maybe a period of separation uh, might be of, of some value to us. And so this friend of mine, who's a very good counselor, uh, kind of mischievous too, which I think probably makes him a good counselor, said, uh, well, what if I were to give you an assignment that you were to go home and just implement for one week? Would, would you be willing to do that and see if it makes any difference? And she said, well, well, what is it? He said, well, this is a Friday. Can you get the children away from the house over the weekend? And she said, well, I could arrange that. He said, Well do. Get rid of the kids over the weekend. Now, what time will your husband be home this evening? And she said, oh, he'll be home about about six o'clock. He said, great. When he gets in uh, the front door, you grab him by both ears and you drag him to the bedroom. Feed him some supper. And then you make sure that uh, you all have a a nice sweet time again before the evening's out. Wake him up at six o'clock in the morning, then feed him some breakfast. He'll need it. And uh, after that. I would encourage you to pursue him. And this is how he said it. This is a, a Christian counselor, evangelical, Bible-believing. But he, saw, he said to this lady, I just want to challenge you for one week to become a huntress. And you pursue your husband with every ounce of energy you've got. Can you do that? Well, she said, uh, I can do anything for one week. And so she uh, <laughs> she went home and... Um, She did not call him the next Friday. She called him Monday. And she said, I don't know what you were hoping to accomplish, but I think it worked. (laughs) My husband's over in the corner of the bedroom and he's waving a white handkerchief at me. (laughs) And uh, he has a real scared look in his eye and... um, We've just had a good long laugh and a good long cry, and we both feel really dumb. Because, now listen to what she said something that should have drawn us together for 16 years nearly tore us apart. All because, now listen to me, we did not talk, we did not communicate. You see, he was always putting on the full court press because my default answer was always no. And because my default answer was always no, he was always putting on the full court press. And then she said something that I have found profoundly insightful for many, many years now. And here's what she said. She said, you know, we've discovered after talking that we don't have identical appetites in this area, but we certainly have compatible appetites. And we've discovered that many, many, many years ago if we had simply talked, if we had communicated, and, and here's where I want to go for the rest of my time, if we had put the needs of the other ahead of our own. Well, that's what you see in Ephesians chapter 5, isn't it? As men and women submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and the filling of the spirit, you see the man deferring to his wife, loving her sacrificially. I've always found it fascinating that Paul grounds his theology of marriage in the atonement. And you see the wife deferring to her husband so that her goal is to please him and his goal is to please her. And because they're both set on pleasing the other, there is great joy and blessing and satisfaction in that relationship now if we were to quickly walk through these verses what are some of the things we would see flooding out of them that help us understand how it is then that we communicate well and that we communicate i'd like to say it this way affectionately in the direction of our our mate so that we then create and here's the key we create an environment of romance and affection where sexual intimacy takes place more often and with greater satisfaction. Well, let me talk first of all and quickly to the men. When you read these verses, it's very clear that this redeemed man is a spiritual leader, a man of God with conviction and commitment. He's a man that's willing to put his life on the line for his wife in the same way that Christ put his life on the line for him. He indeed understands, I love my wife as Christ has loved me, not loving her because she's a certain way or not loving her if she does certain things, but loving her even when she is not lovely. You find him being very sensitive to her. It says there in this particular text that he is a husband who indeed loves her as his own body. He's one who nourishes her and one who cherishes her just as Christ does the church. The Bible says God calls men to be uh, affectionate with their wives, to appreciate uh, their wives, to be sensitive to their wives. And that's not something we're always really good at. In fact, I'm quite sure it's something we have to grow into over years as we grow in sanctification, as we grow in knowledge of each other. I, I learned this, by the way, the hard way in our first year of marriage. Uh, we got married very young, 21 and 19. Uh, and I confess to you all, I was a very young 21-year-old, a very immature 21-year-old. And so we get married. And um, it's good in so many ways. But one Saturday, one Saturday, My wife uh, set on the table some really nice sandwiches for us to eat. And then she put beside it a Tupperware thing that when you opened it up and looked inside, if you had the aid of a magnifying glass, you might think what was in there once resembled potato chips. But when you put those things in your mouth, they were so stale, you were certain it was some kind of chewing gum. And so I looked at my wife and I said, honey, I don't like these. They're too small and stale. I'd like some new potato chips. Well, my wife, when we first got married, aspired, rightfully so, because we had no money, to be very frugal, uh, to save as much and make things stretch out as far as they could go. And so she said, "Well, well, sweetheart, when these are gone, you can have some others. Now, that that was not uh, the response that I was looking for. And so I came back and I said, well, uh, you know, darling, I I came by the pantry on the way in here and I saw in there brand new bags of Lay's potato chips. They've never been touched by human hands. And I'd really like to have those. And she came back and she said, well, like I said, um, sugar dumpling, when... uh, When when this container is empty, you can have some others. And so I did something a man would only do, number one, when he is 21 years old, and two, in his first year of marriage, I stood up, I took her Tupperware thing, and I dumped those potato chips in her kitchen floor. Oh, I know. Easy. (laughs) Easy. Every woman in here thinks I should be dead, and I would not disagree with that, but it gets worse. Oh, it gets worse. I say to her, This one's empty now. Why don't you go get the others? 36 years later, she is still not gone to get the others. So it, 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 it. It did not work. It did not accomplish what I thought that it was going. I thought it was a great object lesson myself. I thought it would make a point. Oh, it made a point. Uh, It made a point that I absolutely did not have a clue about the sensitive spirit of my particular lady who was trying to love us well, help us get through times when money was scarce, and I just absolutely was completely out to lunch, not paying attention to how she saw things and how she felt about things. And so there's this sense in which we are sensitive to our mate. But ladies, what is it that God uh, indeed would ask of you? Well, he asked you in this particular text to to admire and respect this man uh, that God has given you. And, And again, I'll just share a personal word. I cannot explain it, but I'll tell you this. Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, What my wife thinks about me matters to me more than anybody else. You can tell me I'm not a very good speaker, okay? You can tell me I'm not a very good theologian, okay? You can tell me that I probably ought to find another line of work. You're entitled to that opinion. But if my wife says to me, honey, I am so proud of you. I I so believe in who you are and what you're doing. And I just want you to know, I'm in your corner and I've got your back. I can face the world. And it speaks to my heart in a way that I cannot explain can come from nobody else in this world. And you see, it's almost as if God knew that he wired her in the way that he did for me to speak to her heart. And he wires me in a certain way so that she knows exactly how to speak to my heart As well, And so you see in this particular text that she is indeed respecting him. She is admiring him. And if I could just kind of again now bring it down to where I want to end. As I look through this and as I go back into the Song of Songs, there's there's one other thing that just seems to me to stand out that may be under the surface, but I think you'll all agree when I share it. It's sure it's it's right there, Danny. Out of all that we see in these uh, verses about uh, how you cultivate an environment, in which romance and intimacy are going to be enjoyed more fully and more delightfully, you see a current running between the two of best friends. Best friends. When I got married, did I think I was marrying my best friend? No. I was marrying this beautiful brown-eyed brunette that I was very sensually attracted to. She was a sweet person. She had gifts and abilities and areas that I was completely deficient in. And so I just recognized she would really complete me. She would really make me better. She would really meet some areas of need in my life that are just really, really evident. But as we have now been married, uh, as Dan said, for 36 years, I can share with you all uh, this evening that she is absolutely, without any question, my best friend. And, you know, when I do premarital counseling now is I sit down and talk with a young man and a young woman about the prospects of marriage. I will talk to them about their relationship with Christ. I will talk to them about being active in a Bible-believing church. I'll talk to them about these areas that can always rise up in marriage and and cause us to get off track, like uh, communication and sex and finances and children and in-laws. I'll talk about those things. But then at the end of the first session, I always do this every time. I'll look at the bride-to-be, and I'll ask her this question. Do you like him? And 99 times out of 100, they always say, oh, I love him. And I will always say, that's wonderful. That wasn't my question, so let me try again. Do you like him? And then I'll look at the the groom-to-be, and I'll say, and I'm going to ask you, do you like her? And here's what I want to say. If you can't say right now that you are best friends, then there's the major assignment I have for you from this day forward till the time that you marry and then afterwards you work and you grow and you develop that relationship with your mate, of best friend. You say, why? Because I can promise you two things if you do become best friends. Number one, your marriage will last. And number two, your marriage will be a blessing. You say, how can you make that promise, Danny? Because best friends do not give up on best friends. And you like hanging with your best friend. So as we bring our lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ, And we allow our Lord to bless us and shape us and mold us to be more and more like Christ. In the process, I think one of his goals is to bring us closer together as best friends. And here's what I've learned at the fourth decade of being married. The intimacy can continue to be wonderful. But it is really, really enhanced when the person that you're intimate with is your best friend. In other words, it's good to be lovers, but it's like really, really awesome to be lovers and friends. Here's what I share as I close. Basically, what the Bible is telling us is we need to be living the gospel and preaching the gospel outside the bedroom. Of course, the gospel simply means good news. So I'll play off that idea and and then we'll pray. Yeah, there needs to be gospel being lived out, gospel being spoken, good news being lived out, good news being spoken outside the bedroom. And when that takes place, guess what? There'll be good news. Yes, even gospel inside the bedroom, which is what God always intended when he said, it's not good that a man is alone, but I will make him a helper who will perfectly complement him. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this good gift called marriage. And thank you for this good gift called sex that we get to enjoy within the covenant of marriage. Lord, you were not trying to rain on our parade or steal our fun when you told us to save ourselves for marriage and to be faithful in marriage. But Lord, you knew that you would be maximizing our partnership and our protection and our pleasure. And so God, thank you for giving us in your wisdom, these guidelines, these principles for how we can have a wonderful, intimate love life. And thank you, Lord, that when we come together in covenant marriage, I really do believe that you are watching and you are saying, drink, friends, drink, be intoxicated with love. Might it even be, Lord, that what you're in essence saying is, what I'm looking at indeed brings me pleasure. And Lord, what brings you pleasure, we are not remiss in saying, has to be, at least in some measure, an act of worship to our great God. So may indeed we put this wonderful thing called sex always within the context of worship and commitment and devotion to you, whereby we can hear from our... Wonderful creator, drink, friends, drink. Be intoxicated with love. This we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the ERLC podcast. You can subscribe and find more information at erlc.com. Next week, we'll learn about intentional marriages.